Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge live live stream. I'm your host, Madhuni Christian, the editor of Airline Weekly, and I'm joined today by Chris Sloan, airline reporter and journalist at large and the publisher of archive.net. Good morning, Chris. Good uh, morning. It's actually afternoon here in Miami, so. That's true. That <laughs> That's true. It is hour. afternoon. <laughs> Almost happy hour. Welcome. Thank you. I've been wanting to have you on for a long time, so I'm glad we were able to make these dates work out. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, you know, my Monday mornings aren't complete without the Airline Weekly coming into my uh, my mailbox, so I'm glad to be on. <laughs> oh, I'm glad, glad to hear it. Uh, so tell, you know, the archive took a bit of a hiatus, as I remember. So um, tell us a little bit about what the site is for people who who are new to it and um, and sort of and what why it came back. Well, uh, we started 18 years ago and it was uh, interesting. It was an interesting time in the industry, obviously, in 2003. <laughs> um, certainly not as dramatic now, but I mean, the industry was really, uh, you know, reeling from, you know, the, the, the economic events and 9-11. And, and it was kind of my tribute and my uh, to an industry I loved. And so I've had this collection since I was five years old and amassed huh. it and created uh, in the ideas before you use the words brick and mortar, a, a, a what I call a webzeum. And then... Hmm. Uh, for many, many years, uh, it operated, and then we merged it with Airways. And for the last few years, it was, it's been sitting in a, in Palmdale or Mojave in storage, and we just got it out of a, a heavy check, and it's back in the air. Nice. Um, and, and and just describe. I mean, for some of our viewers and listeners who don't know what the archive is, I mean, what what sorts of content do you cover, and what what do you? I mean, I've been to it many times. I love the site, but uh, t- just just give us a little, like the the elevator pitch of what it is. The elevator pitch. Um, it is a. Uh, I just always say it's like a web, webzeum of commercial aviation, and and it's this one place, a hub, um, or maybe a focus city. And what I think is really <laughs> interesting about it is it's this one place where it's what's it's unique. It's timetables. It's route maps. It's airline cabins. It's fo- it's it's original sales brochures. It's really. Um, you know, models, and it's very uh, now becoming quite uh, driven by a lot of user uh, user contribution. So it's this one place where you really see the history of this industry we love, and it it's not just nostalgia, but it provides a lot of you know interesting context. And mm-hmm. uh, but to your point, it is kind of a uh, it is kind of a rabbit hole, and you can go down uh, yes. <laughs> you can go down it and uh, not not emerge. But I mean, it's placed up the band. If you want to see the very first jet timetable or schedule for the Eastern Shuttle or the or the launch brochure for the 747 all the way up to now um, it, it's there. And so basically it's a two storage warehouses of my collection uh, that's now available for free. All right. Well, check out archive.net everyone. Um, so when Chris said he's editor or aviation journalist at large in the sort of in the run up to the, you know, when we were prepping for this call, I asked him how he wanted to be described. He said a airline reporter or airline journalist at large. Uh, he means it. So I first ran into Chris more than about a decade ago um, when I was with Virgin America. And I, it's to say you're ubiquitous in this industry is an understatement. And, um, That's a real, wow. I need to look that <laughs> word up, but that sounds not, no, thank you. That's very good. <laughs> so uh, your ubiquity, I mean, given that you, you recently were up at, uh, uh, up in New York for the, uh, the JetBlue, unveil of its uh, A220, so is our reporter, uh, Edward Russell. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, what your impressions of the A220 are and how it fits into fleet planning now. So let's let's start with uh, what, when you went up there, was that your first exposure to the A220? What did you, 
or was it your or was it your first just jet blues well well my nerd other little nerd side hustle is i try to have the record for the be on the most inaugurals of any new type so i was actually uh-huh. on the very first uh flight ever uh with passengers of the a2 when it was when it was called the c series it was the c series wow hmm. and um and, uh, you know, I mean, my impressions are, are very, you know, it's almost a plane, I hate to use the phrase, but it's almost a plane, the airlines can't screw up. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless somebody, unless uh, somebody wants to try a six abreast seating, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> but um, it really is a, a next generation project product. And I think JetBlue, you know, there were some really interesting little ergonomic surprises and touches, I think, which distinguished the plane. And um I have to tell you what I think is most interesting about it is the possibilities of where you see the what this aircraft will mean to the company. Um, yeah. You know, its range. I was kind of digging into some of the little the little cerium and chiviation data, and it's like the the range on this airplane is, you know, thirty seven hundred miles, which is more hmm. than the three. Uh, it's, it's right there with the three twenty neos and the three twenty and above the three twenty CEO. And I and mm-hmm. and as and I, I asked them, I said, you know, they they when we were talking about the, you know, where this really fits in in relation to the E jet. Um, I think what's really interesting about it is they have not taken a plane in the one hundred fifty one hundred sixty seat category since two thousand thirteen, so they have not taken a three twenty neo. Right. So you look at this plane, you're like this feels like this could be when they if, when they you know stretch the platform to the 22500 inevitably one day that this becomes their you know this becomes the backbone of the fleet this becomes that 320 CEO replacement mm-hmm. and that becomes really the what drives the future of the fleet so it's just the possibilities are so unique with what they can do with this platform now and and then yeah, and and you know that's interesting. And and Edward, uh, we just our feature story this week, written by Edward Russell, was uh, about how the the two twenty is really a great aircraft for this time in particular, this moment in time, uh, just given you know capacity cron, cron, uh, capacity reductions and the fall off in demand. It's a it's a nimble aircraft for fleet planners. But you tell me a little bit more about what you think with the future. I mean, uh, where where do you see this fitting into say an airline like JetBlue's fleet? Well, I mean, I think it's exactly what you're saying. I mean, it starts as, you know, an aircraft that's really focused around that unique Boston market, which, you know, mm-hmm. we always look at JetBlue and say that market is, you know, it's, 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 it's an airline almost within an airline, right? And so not only are you using it to, you know, do pioneer routes and long thin routes, but you're doing, you're, you're doing things that are different beyond the mission of the, of the E-Jet, which right now, you know, those average stage lengths are like an hour and a half. And I right. think the longest r- route is you know, maybe cracks a thousand miles, nothing west of nothing, nothing west of like Austin or something. Right. But you look at this and you're like, you know, yeah, Boston to Austin, I think is the longest route. You look at this and you're like the amount of capabilities it has, whether it's, you know, uh, over the Atlantic, mm-hmm. whether it's Transcon, whether it's opening up Hartford to LA or John Wayne Transcon. I mean, you just, you just see that it's a, it's a game changer, no matter where they put it. I mean, it's a, a 140 seat aircraft with, you know, the chasm of an airplane that's that's much larger, and so it just feels like a complete step change um, that's going to be able to really live throughout the network instead of just being kind of this kind of low low utilization East Coast um, plane. Right. Now it's interesting, you know, when when um, when JetBlue 
almost two years ago, first announced or first revealed that it was planning to fly to London. There was a lot of chatter then that the C, sorry, I called it the C-Series. The 220 actually could be a game changer because it, it gave them um, the ability to fly to London City. Um, yeah, that's right. So the, I mean, they, the, I've, I've asked them about that. I'm not sure if you've asked them more recently whether they have any plans to fly to City with this aircraft. I always joke with them. They have like, they should just have t-shirts made up that says, don't ask me about London anymore. I'm not <laughs> going to tell you anything. Right. <laughs> um, but you're right. I mean, now, I mean, there's obviously an, uh, an opening now with BA and the A318. Um, and there was, I guess there was another, that, that's ceasing. So, I mean, it does seem completely, uh, you know, like a prospect. They've, they've said that this, uh, they're going to develop another form of mint. So, you, I, you know, that seems like a, a niche thing they could do. Huh. Um, you know, I, I totally think that's a, that's the thing is they're going to get very creative with the airplane. Yeah. I mean, way, I want to say something, you, you, co- yeah. you keep going back to the C series, which is what I'll still always call it. Um, right. enough, what I thought was really touching about what JetBlue did, which was so inside baseball, but they actually named the airplane. The first one delivered is going to be named the Rob Dewar. Huh. So the father of the C series, the one guy who's lasted, you know, from, from, the beginning right uh you know is i think that's only the second airplane in their fleet that's actually named after a person so there's the dave nealman and now there's the uh there's the uh there's the rob doer huh <laughs> that is interesting that's a good little good little footnote to this story um so so where where i mean how, have you spoken to anyone at delta about how they're they're planning to use the um, 220 i keep wanting to call it the c-series the 220 well, in your defense, I mean, it's funny when you still walk onto those early ones. It still says C series in the threshold, right? <laughs> so when we walked when we walked into in the at JFK, it didn't say C series, and it was like, are we sure we're on the right plane? So it's a good it's it's a it's a it's a good point. Um, I think Delta's you know interesting. I mean, they're obviously the world's now they're the world's largest operator in terms of fleet and flights, and mm-hmm. and you're right. I mean the you know, it's, it's, it's the one aircraft that uh, basically has not been stored throughout the duration of the pandemic and they continue right. to take deliveries. Um, but what's interesting, it has, Delta has not really used it as a, you know, as a, a pioneering kind of unique long thin routes, but it does seem to be that kind of, when you, when you kind of crack into some of the scheduling, it does seem to be that plane that's being used in building up those focus cities, the Raleigh's mm-hmm. and the Austin's and things of that nature. Um, but uh you know, I mean, they, they've got on record as saying ultimately this replaces the 717s and things right. of that nature. Um, but, um, you know, they're, I think when I was looking at, I think their largest refer- distance was what sector, they're, they're right, like 16, 1700 miles. Okay. I thought the most interesting use of it actually than of anybody is uh, uh, at this point is Air Canada, because they're actually operating true 2300 mile transcons with it. Um, and prestige routes. So I think they're right. doing like Montreal to Vancouver and um, which is now the longest since Air Baltic's no longer operating it. So I think that's the thing when you ask about Delta, I'm, I'm curious myself is when we're going to see the, you know, the kind of the creative unusual uses of the 220 that maybe we're not seeing uh, yet. That's a really interesting point. So basically you're saying that th- this is a game changing aircraft. We, we, we all accept that. But you know, sort of the way it was pitched, I think when Bombardier was still had the program was sort of a, a, they didn't really go into the range, but more about the, where it fit in the fleet in, in seat size makeup, right? Like about bigger than a regional jet, but smaller than, than the, a, a 7.3 or, or um, 
or a 320. Uh, but I never really consider stopped to consider like this. So you're saying that the um, the range capabilities really opens it up, changes the way airlines should use it. Yeah, I mean that, that's what it, it it just makes it so interesting that it's um, because of the range, but also just the absolute low cost. No matter what range you're operating at, has this versatility. You can almost see for airlines, particularly like you see the breezes of the world, where it becomes mm -hmm. the single fleet. You know, I mean, ultimately, I mean. We know that there's the stopgap measures with the ERJs, but it, it seems like it can play so many roles. I look at it as like a ba the baby dreamliner, you know, the way that kind <laughs> yeah. of, it's, it's, a it's in so many ways, right? Not just the window size, but just right. the market potential is it just slots into so many, so many different ways, whether you want to overfly hubs or, mm -hmm. you know, whether you want to do point to point, whether you want to do really long, thin, uh, meet, I mean, fairly long, I mean, six hour segments. I mean, so it just feels like there's so many different things that it can do, no matter what the range. Um, yeah. And that makes it really, and do it and do it really uh, efficient, efficiently. Yeah, that, that's a great analogy, sort of the baby dreamliner, like in, uh, the long, instead of long, thin intercontinental routes, we're talking about long, thin transcontinental, or in some cases, transatlantic routes, depending on the location. That's, that's a, a interesting way to think about it. Okay, Chris, I want to talk, I want to switch gears, as it were. Oh, or switch. By the way, can I tell you the one co the coolest feature on the uh, that I saw on the that they didn't talk about besides the subway tiles in the bathroom is the the lav window because I love the lav window. Oh, they didn't do the lav window. <laughs> no. No. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, when's the last time you saw a bath uh, a window in a, in, a, in a New York City subway um, <laughs> with a bathroom? But uh, they actually they had that's the only downer. They to you know to be able to have that generous seat pitch and 140 passengers, they went with yeah. the the two Lilliputian uh, uh, space flex labs in the back, but. Um, but they do have a real, what I thought was really cool is they actually have a little accessory P, uh, personal device and table cubby for the flight crew. So they oh. have, there was these really interesting little touches that were for their employees and that I thought was interesting. So they actually have a little table so they can actually have their meals and not be standing in the galley and when they're sitting facing. And, um, and they also even had uh, designated floor patterns um, to kind of designate where the crew in the bathrooms, where the in the rear galleys, where the passengers can stand and where the crew can stand, so they kind of have their own. There was like a nod to personal space, and I thought that was really a small little thing. That is interesting. Um, all right, so now that we're done talking about labs, let's switch yeah. gears a little bit and talk about the other um, inaugural, well, not quite inaugural, resumption flight you you took recently, and that was the uh, the seven three seven Max American Airlines in December, if I'm not mistaken. Um, what what when you when you were when you were there like what did what did you what did you hear from American about how let's start with how passengers are are are, um, are uh, reacting to the Max coming back? Um, you know, I, I live in Miami, and so I went. I just flew the Miami uh, LaGuardia segment, and yeah. from my perspective, and talking to people, is that nobody cared, and mm -hmm they were aware of it. Um, and the only real difference you, you got that this was a, besides there was a phalanx of media everywhere, right. that this was <laughs> unique, um, was that uh, now on the FID screens and in the boarding announcements, they announced that you're flying a 737 MAX, but they made that policy to where all aircraft types are now going to be announced. So they didn't want to overly call too much attention, right. but they are disclosing it. Huh. And 
um, which, and that's a fleet wide thing. So they'll now say you'll be flying on a uh, 787 Model 8 and that'll be up on the screen and we'll make that announcement. Um, so they are disclosing it. They're not going, hey, hooray, you're on a, you're on a Max. Um, but nobody seemed really uh, that interested. And our flight was, uh, was pretty lightly loaded because obviously mm -hmm. not many people want to go to, aren't going to quarantine New York in uh, Christmas week. Right. But I, having read what I, but when I, we, on the return, you know, we understood that that, that flight was at hundred percent hmm. oversold. And uh, we heard that there was people that were more um, genuinely concerned. My, my take on the flight was it was absolutely as boring and as mundane <laughs> as, as, and you knew, you knew things were kind of getting back to order when people were getting on the uh, pl plane and doing the classic American Airlines Oasis bitching. <laughs> like, oh, the labs and I'm going to, you know, and the seat pitch and all that. And it was like, okay, they've moved on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, this has been kind of my point from, from when the aircraft was grounded back in 2019 and, you know, people would ask me, oh, they should rebrand it. They should change the name. But, but ultimately 99% of passengers don't really even know what aircraft they're on, or if they do, it kind of flickers in their mind for a second and then vanishes. Uh, the the you know I think it's a smart strategy Americans doing with the in terms of communications terms of uh, announcing all their aircraft types so they're not singling out the Max right like so you see on the the um, on the screen the FIDs that Chris is referring to sorry for the jargon um, see on the screen before you board that it's a seven three seven nine Max or what have you and and or seven eight seven eight or whatever whatever aircraft it is you're boarding that's that's a really intelligent and smart way to go about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was very. Um, that was, I mean, that was really really it. Even down, I mean, uh, people were noticing down to the seat cards. The seat cards basically are, don't don't say Max on them. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, uh, the safety cards. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my, my take on it was, I was saying, you know, it's like, you know, the old phrase, if it's Boeing, I'm not going, or <laughs> which I guess has been revised. Right. Um, but I, I would say if it's boring, I'm going. And that's exactly, right. you know, what it is. And, you know, I mean, I, the reminder of this is, you know, it, it, the, the, that it, for the, what, by the way, you know, I think this week is the fifth anniversary of the first flight, believe it or not. Oh. And, um, but it flew a quarter of a million flights um, worldwide before it was grounded. And it's like, it's a long journey back. I mean, we've only got what 83, I think what 4,000 scheduled. We don't even know what will actually operate in February, but I mean, that's quite a, a disparity. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see like when a major operator like United starts kicking back in or when Southwest mm -hmm. comes in at the end of March or April. And that's, I think is going to be when there's really more of a critical mass of these things in the air. I think that's when we'll, get maybe more of a sense of how things are are going. No, that, that's a very good point, but also people's memories fade. And yeah. um, by the time, just thinking in terms of media and how and how how the news cycle works, by the time Southwest reintroduces its maxes, I think they're saying now the end of March, um, I'm, I'm willing, I, it's not gonna be news for the mainstream media anymore, right? I mean, yeah. The news was American reintroduced its max. And by the end of March, it's going to be another, people are going to be more, there'll be more news about denied boardings or canceled flights or, or you know, unruly passengers than there will be about. Emotionally support, you'll, you're, you'll, maybe you'll be <laughs> people saying, I need my emotionally support Peacock to get me onto a max. <laughs> special, special permission, but uh, 
Yeah, you heard it here first. We're we're looking at our crystal ball, and we'll say when South by the time Southwest rolls out its maxes again, people will be there'll be more news about emotional support peacocks than there will about be about maxes. I have to say a little anecdote about it. Uh, I th- there was a part of me that thought it was kind of a little bit snake bit from the beginning. I was on the very first Southwest flight, and they uh-huh. recall they did such a they did something unique, and I think they put thirteen aircraft into service on the first day, or twelve or thirteen. They were in those capacity. It, uh, issues and so they October 1st I think like three years ago mm-hmm. and Gary Kelly stands up on the uh, PA and, and they're, they're going to recreate on our flight the Dallas uh, Houston uh, San Antonio the original flight one two three right. and he's like you know Herb's not feeling well today and Herb never misses anything so he goes I hope we're not jinxed <laughs> and uh, we got to Houston fine but uh, but uh, we had to return to the gate three times and finally uh, the plane went tech <laughs> and we uh we did the rest of the trip on a uh, on, on an 800. So it, it oh. almost had a little bit of a, an inauspicious start. Wow, I, I, I didn't know that story. That's a really good idea. And they gave us all, they actually sent us letters and they gave us rapid re- uh, rewards miles as an apology because they realized that most people who flew in for this thing were there because they wanted to fly all three flights on the max. <laughs> so uh, Gary Kelly was just sitting in the back. And I just I, There was like little beads of sweat coming down his head and there was a kid next to him playing Candy Crush. <laughs> he was like I, I think he said something like I wish I was in your shoes right now but I mean they, they handled it beautifully like they always do and right. and obviously they really want that airplane back and um, that's a whole nother kind of fascination of how they're going to bring that uh, bring that back into the fleet yeah do you have any thoughts on that Chris uh, you know I was talking to Andrew Watterson about that and I you know and, and um, just you know, pa- pause right there Andrew Watterson is Southwest Chief Revenue Officer exactly. Car- carry on <laughs> and you know we're, we're all trying to, you know, see if we can, you know, find out exactly what the plan is and what they, you know, they said, obviously they, there's 7,000 pilots. They're not, unlike being the contrarian they are and the kind of operation they run, they're not going to put the aircraft back into service until all 7,000 pilots are, you know, recertified and re- are type rated and right. go through the SIM on the plane. And they said, what they're going to do is they're going to basically put a handful of them in at a time. They're not going to try to go to some kind of critical mass. Obviously they've got, you know, pretty significant number of on the ground. Um, but, you know, I got the sense that he said, you know, that basically um, they're just going to kind of move them around the network, but always be sure that there's a little bit of a, you know, they, there's, there's, there's a little bit of backup as just people kind of be are reacclimated. Um, right. But yeah, they're not, they're not, um, I think that's very interesting is that, you know, Americans pilot group will not be fully trained on it until, what the end of uh, March? Mm-hmm. Everybody here has to be trained before they um, before they bring it. You know, bring one uh, airframe into service. Which I mean, it makes sense given Southwest fleet makeup, right? I mean, they, they, that was what that was one of the reasons they they were they were so interested in the matter. Boeing was well, it's a, it's a long long and old story, but uh, basically, you know, the the sort of interchangeability for pilots was was the biggest selling point for Southwest as far as I know. One of the yeah, biggest selling points. For sure. And that was interesting. The other thing we, t- we talked about was kind of putting a bow to the 220 is, you know, there's been all this kind of chatter about how serious are they about the 220. And, right. you know, a lot of people believe that um, that they're about as serious as that, as, as Alaska would be uh, taking down those all Boeing uh, stickers and putting all, all Toulouse, in the spirit <laughs> of Toulouse on a 737. And, but where they are serious is, I thought it was interesting. He said there's been a misconception that somehow 
because all we've taken are new upgaged dash eights that were out of the seven series seven dash seven business. Interesting. He kept saying, you know, that size aircraft is a real category killer for us. And we haven't taken new ones in a while. And even though they have some on order, it's a nominal amount. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's certain routes where it kind of going back through 20, where it really makes sense, like, you know, Sacramento and Bal to Baltimore, or, you know, those unusual point to point or the short form of short range of Sacramento to LA. And so they're really serious. I got the sense about there's going to be an aircraft in that category, you know, and, and you know, if it really, the 220 seems like a long shot, but the idea of Southwest only being a, a larger gauge 737-800-8 operation, that's, that, that's where he corrected me. That's a fallacy. They're huh. going to do something there. With the Dash 7? In that, in that, in that size, you know, huh. which, I mean, I think they said they have, what, seven of those on order? Mm -hmm. but, um, but, you know, that's, that seemed to be where the next, you know, big order, uh, you know, was going to come from. And, you know, God knows... Boeing needs it. I mean, uh, yeah. I found it really interesting. It's like the set, the Dash Eight still, the Max Eight still has a sales advantage before the cancellations over the three twenty Neo, just head to head on those models. Mm -hmm. But obviously, when you look at the bringing the three twenty one and that entire family, there's you know it's advantage Airbus because right. there's such a you know such a small market for the, the I think they've got what eighty percent of the two hundred passenger area. So. I thought it was really interesting that there's definitely an opportunity for Boeing and it seems like I'm sure Boeing wants to play nice with its most important customer. <laughs> right. That's, that's there's there's going it seems like there's going to be an order in that 100 uh, whatever is that 150 passenger category. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So the Dash 7 lives to fight another day. Huh. Yeah, who would have thought? Right. I know, <laughs> right? Uh, well Chris, look we could probably talk for many hours and we will, we will, we will have you on again soon, but we're out of time for this week. So I want to thank Chris, the, uh, the pub, Chris Sloan, the publisher of archive.net. Check it out while, while you're, um, when, and check it out when you have several hours to spare because you will, uh, you'll go down a rabbit hole and never emerge. Um, so Chris, thank you for joining us. And um, for the rest of the, for the rest of you out there, we will be publishing the audio version of this later this week on, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can also check us out, uh, check out the audio directly on airlineweekly.com and uh, look at our, um, our latest feature story. This week's feature story is on the A220 being the right jet for the, these times. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thank you and uh, really uh, enjoyed uh, being on and congratulations on all the, some of the really cool changes and uh, you've built some, uh, built on some shoulders of some strong Airline Weekly folks and are taken to the the, uh, the next flight level. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for the kind words. Goodbye. Y'all have a good one. <laughs>